application there. And again, I am so honored that you're here this morning and just thank the Lord for you and just trust that uh, you being here in the midst of God's people and in the presence of the powerful spirit of God that you are indeed blessed. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, want to follow along in uh, Colossians. We'll be in the book of Colossians talking about experiencing the new identity in the gospel of Jesus. And Colossians chapter 3, if you're following along in your study guide, then we are somewhere around page 112, and you can just settle down there either way. But Colossians 3 and then uh, and on page 112. You are probably much to the chagrin of uh, my son and daughter-in-law. I introduced my grandchildren, Asher and Salem, to the Star Wars saga. And, uh, and we've had some dandy times when the kids come over to visit with Poppy and Mimi of uh, you know, makeshift uh, lightsabers and having some battles. And somehow I usually end up being drafted to be Darth Vader. But uh, anyway, I can't imagine why. But uh, anyway, we've had just grand time, and, and, and they've watched a couple of those, a few of those episodes. And so, um, and, and I'm sure uh, Tim and Heather probably wished I'd never done that. But it's, uh, having said that, uh, I think they're Mimi, who's always on the spot and ready to tune in and help out. And she saw how much we were enjoying our little uh, lightsaber battles and all, and with our makeshift lightsabers. So, I think on one of the significant holidays, it may have been Groundhog Day or National Potato Week, but anyway, she sees the occasion to order us uh, real lightsabers. And so uh, that really, you know, ramped things up. So one afternoon, the kids were going to jam, was uh, picking up the kids after school. And they were going, I knew they were coming, and just so happened I was going to be there. And I knew what was coming. They were, they were going to draft me to, you know, engage in yet another, you know, cliffhanging uh, uh, Star Star Wars battle. So when they got there, they got settled in and, and what have you. I knew they were getting ready to to get their lightsabers and what have you. I went ahead and got mine. And I thought, you know, I've always liked to dress up and, and be in character and stuff like that and be dramatic and also that particular day I said I thought I'm going to really charge up my grandkids, you know. So they hadn't seen me yet. So I'd already put together a makeshift Darth Vader costume. I mean, complete with my black COVID mask, and I had, you know, my big, thick, dark shades that I got from one of my many eye surgeries, and uh, I had that, and I found one of Asher's uh, 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 plastic uh, fireman helmets, and I put that on backwards, and so, you know, and then I found me a cape and draped that around me, so the kids, they knew I was coming, but they didn't see the outfit, <laughs> so they're out in the driveway, waiting for Darth Vader to show up. And so I step out from behind you know, the corner, and there I am, lightsaber in hand, you know, and I'm in my role, you know, like, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> so, so it shocked them. They took off running, you know. <laughs> then they figured out I was just popping. So they came back to gallantly engage me as rebels against the evil empire. And so we were having a heated uh, lightsaber uh, a battle, Darth Vader against uh, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia, and uh, I was just about ready to take Princess Leia captive, and out of the corner of my eye, as we're at the end of the driveway going at it, out of the corner of my eye, out in the street, one of my neighbors, my close neighbors, is walking by with this little dog, Zoe, 
he he walks her regularly every day, and 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 and, and so I just stopped and I, I froze. I turned, and there he is, and he's standing there, and he and Zoe are staring at me. You know, I don't know why. You know, and and he says, Darth Vader, I assume, and I says. Oh no, Larry, it's worse. It's Darth Poppy. <laughs> you know, I, I know people that like to be dramatic, like to put on costumes, and that's always fun to do and be in character and everything. But you know, as we look at the lesson today and, and, and examine the message that Paul has in this message in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, he's helping us to understand that becoming a Christian. Is a whole lot more than wearing a costume. Though there are superficial Christians out there in the world, people who say they're Christians and they put on the act. You know, they can they can talk like it, they can walk like it, but you know, they they'll go through the motions. It's almost like they got a, a costume, but inside, it's not authentic. It's not the real deal. You know, uh, you can be in character or whatever, but if you're not, if there's not been a, a genuine, authentic internal change, then you're still who you are. But you see, in the Christian life, the miracle of the transformation that God works involves change. But it doesn't, it doesn't involve changing from one costume to another costume to another costume. But it's one absolute divinely orchestrated spiritual transformation where we are taken off and we are put in on in order to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we walk through these passages of Scripture this morning in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I, I challenge every one of us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, to, to consider if indeed this process has thoroughly happened in your life. Because becoming a child of God and becoming a true Christian involves not just putting on makeup, if you will, and dressing up the old, it's a radical change of becoming something absolutely new and different, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when he says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, and the new has come. And that's what Paul is addressing here. So I, I want to go ahead and invite you to look at uh, Colossians in chapter 3, verse 1. And let's see how Paul is helping us to understand that, that the first step in this process of spiritual transformation, first of all, involves getting your focus right. Getting your focus right. Because so often we call ourselves, as, as Christians, we become so absorbed in the, in the earthly things around us, in the world around us, that we lose track of the reality that this world is not our home. John says that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. He says, this world is passing away and the lust of it. In other words, you look at all the things that people are investing themselves in, tangible things, material things, accolades of praise and accomplishments and all of that. Listen, folks, one day the Bible says it's going to go up in smoke. He says only the person who does the will of God will abide forever. 
That doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the blessings that God bestows upon us and the opportunities to enjoy the beauty of His handiwork and creation around us and the opportunities to enjoy the things that God blesses us with. No, it's not to say that we have to practice a life of asceticism and go into a monastery or something, but the fact is, don't get too attached to this world because our home is not here. We have a home, oh, absolutely, but it's an eternal home. It's a perfect home. It's a home in the presence of the Lord. That's where our attention needs to be. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul starts out, so if, if and, and, and better translated in the Greek, that if would be a since. In other words, since you have been raised with Christ, it's a given. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, yes, you have. You have been raised with Christ. Just as you were dead in your sins and trespasses, as the Bible says, you were raised with Christ. He says, since that is you, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is there at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on behalf of every one of us, in a continual manner. And that's where our attention, that's where our number one focus needs to be every day. And so with that in mind, he tells us in verse 2, set your minds, get your mental focus, again, on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Died. That's a, gra you know, that's a graphic statement. But it's the truth. If you truly are born again, believer in Jesus Christ, you died to your old sinful self. There is no coexistence of the old with the new. Some people desperately may try to do that, but I would submit to you, you've never even experienced the new. If you find yourself leaning back to the old and gravitating back to the old ways, and so he says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why don't you see yourself where God sees you? God doesn't just see you standing alone on your own. Folks, let me tell you something. There's no way that you and I can stand in the presence of holy, righteous God with our sinful nature and, and, and all our sins. Listen, he would incinerate us rapidly. So you say, well, how in the world then can I be before God in prayer? How can I commune with God? How can I one day be in the very presence of God? I'll tell you how. Because the minute that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and asked Him to forgive you of all of your sins and to be the Lord and the Master of your life, then Jesus enveloped you in Himself. And that's what the Bible says. We are in Christ. And I say hallelujah. Because when God the Father, righteous and holy, looks at you and looks at me, he doesn't see just me. He sees Charlie Martin covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees Charlie Martin enveloped as a, as a spiritual cocoon in the, in the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see my sins because they're covered. They're forgiven. Hallelujah. So Paul says or, to the Colossians, see yourself that way. You are hidden with Christ in God 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so Paul, right into the Colossians, is countering a core of false teachers who have descended upon that city there in Asia Minor, where Paul has established this church and is writing to these Christians. And, you know, we have false teachers and false preachers, folks, today, some of them waving the Christian flag and, and making all kinds of claims, but they're not standing on the word of God. That's why it's very, very important that we are discerning when we hear all these different people claiming to be preachers of the gospel when they are deep there, as Paul says, they're preaching a gospel, but it's not the gospel of Christ. It's not the gospel of, that Paul gave to us. So we need to be very discerning. And these false teachers were promoting a false gospel. They were basically saying, oh, yes, yes, yes. We can make ourselves, you know, uh, uh, acceptable in God's sight. We can deal with our sins and all, but we need to do it through works. It must be through rituals and, and, and participating in things of the law of Moses and observing the Sabbaths and, and all the festivals. And, yeah, you know, believe, but add this to it. Believe, but then also this. And folks, there, there, there are denominations. There are groups out there that are promoting the same false and deadly kind of a gospel that would have you to believe that, yeah, you know, you come to Jesus by faith and all of that, but then you've got to make sure you maintain all these works, including baptism or all these rituals. And in addition to yourself, Paul is saying, oh, no, no, no. Our, our rightness before God is not dependent upon us it's dependent upon Christ and the fact that we are in him and we're covered in his blood and made acceptable in the sight of God. And therefore, we need to make our attention not so much on religion and rituals, but focus upward and, and keep our eyes on Jesus because our hope is in Christ. Our future is in Christ. Our life is in Christ. And, and we imitate him and we allow him to live in us. There's a beautiful dynamic that goes on in the life of a true believer. As we just saw, we are in Christ. He has taken us into himself, into the body of Christ. That's why the church is the body of Christ. And upon on genuine salvation, a profession of faith, the, the scripture tells us Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, we are baptized into the body of Christ. You don't work your way into the body of Christ. You don't earn your way into the body of Christ. You can't be good enough, moral enough, generous enough to be made a part of the body of Christ. It's only by grace, God's grace, our faith. And then Paul says, when we come to that point, and put our full trust in Jesus Christ. We are baptized into the body of Christ. And that's what Jesus says in John 15. He's talking about in verse 5. He says, if you abide in me and I abide in you. Don't miss that, ladies and gentlemen. Because that's how it works. By faith, we, we, we are placed in Christ. But then he, by his Holy Spirit, 
comes to dwell in us. And therefore, we are constantly being led by the Spirit that dwells within us to look. The Spirit's not, con the Spirit's not concerned with the things around us, temporal, worldly things. He finds no pleasure. He derives no joy or fulfillment from just the things of humanity and, 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 and the world. The only thing he's interested in this world is promoting Christ, promoting the gospel, and winning lost people into the kingdom of God. And so the Spirit of God keeps our focus up above where it belongs. And so that, that's very important. This union with Christ is something that I enjoy. And I, I, the more that I, I, I meditate on the scriptures, the more that I pray, the more that I just focus on the Lord, it, it's, it's, it's just the, the sweeter my fellowship is with the Lord. I enjoy it. I, and I'm sure you do too. I'm sure your time in the word of God, reading and studying and the word speaking to your heart, I'm sure as you pray, the spirit of God is just generating in you wonderful thoughts of God and, and the son and, and, and the spirit and, and the kingdom of God. And, and through that, there is such a wonderful thing that we can enjoy this, this abiding in Christ, this union with Christ. Those of you that have you study God, on, on page 113, at the bottom, it talks about the union with Christ. Let me just talk about that. This union with Christ, what does it mean? What does it actually mean? He says, at the heart of our, our salvation is our union with Christ, being united with Christ. Christians believe that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, Christ in us, and that we are simultaneously dwelling in him. And this union is indissolvable, uh, indissoluble it will last for all eternity did you get that we believe in the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer I don't believe that I can go out here and heaven forbid and commit a sin for whatever reason and boom have lost my salvation there are churches that teach that. And they teach that you once you do that, you've got to go back through the process of getting saved again. And then once you accomplish that, then start along, next sin, boom, got, got to go all the way back to the beginning. That's not the teaching of the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. Because you see, our salvation according to the word of God is not dependent upon me and my efforts. My salvation and my relationship with God is dependent upon his grace, which he extended to me and my faith that I placed in Jesus Christ. And the only reason that I know that I'm saved is because I know that Jesus Christ died once for all on the, sin, on the cross for all of our sins. And when I profess my faith in Jesus Christ and you profess your faith in Jesus Christ and him and him alone. You didn't come to Christ and say, now, Lord, I believe that you died on the, sin, on the cross for my sins. I know that you are extending your grace to me and I'm coming to you by faith. And I'm also coming with a perfect attendance at church. And I'm also coming because I've given to so many charitable causes. And I'm coming also because I've been a very moral member of the community. And, and all of that together, Lord, surely. You take all of your stuff and just throw it in the trash can. 
I'm not saying being moral and, and, and being charitable and being good and all that's not, not a, a valuable thing, but that counts nothing, nothing towards our salvation. It's all dependent upon the grace of God. We have been united with Christ only because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, because of this blessed union that we have with Jesus Christ, every day, did y'all hear me? Not just at Christmas, not just at Easter, not just after a week of revival. Listen, every day, every day, I don't care how bad the circumstances are. I don't care how miserable your body feels. I don't care what all the problems may be coming your way. You wake up in Christ and he is in you and you are a child of God. And Jesus said, those that the father has placed in my hand, no one shall separate, snatch them out. No one, no one, no one. And if that doesn't cause you to feel pretty good, that'll lift your spirits. Because <laughs> this world is not our home. We should live with a joy. A deep abiding joy of knowing that Jesus lives in our hearts. People may say, yeah, but you're talking about Jesus. He's a historical figure. He lives way back there 2,000 years ago. He was a great teacher, philosopher, you know, social change agent and all of that. No, I said, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's the son of God. They say he's dead. Oh, I said, no. <laughs> oh, no. He's not dead. He died. And three days later, by the glory and the power of God, he was resurrected from the grave, fully alive. And because of that, I know I live and I will live for eternity because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And like we've sung so many times, he lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Nobody can take that away. Well, let's move along. Paul has talked about first set your mind on the things above. And I hope that that's a regular process for you. I hope that's a regular mindset for you. Sometimes we'll have to remind ourselves of that. Sometimes we'll have to remind each other to do that. Because we get so focused on the things going on around us. But after we set our minds on the thing above, Paul goes on in, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 to talk about we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. I said before, we cannot coexist the spiritual and the fleshly. Paul, listen to what Paul says. Therefore, verse 5, and, and when he says, therefore, he's pointing back. What's he pointing back? He's pointing back to the fact that you set your minds on things above. If you're setting your mind on the things above, Paul says, okay, then if you're going to do that, then you got to first put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And he names, he names these sinful tendencies. You've, you've got to die to that old. And I say this to anybody here today that has not taken that step of faith, that has not come to Christ by faith, that is not a new creature in Christ. And you're still living in that old sinful nature. And God looks at you and he doesn't see Christ. He sees you. And his anger and his wrath and his judgment is blazing. And one day in judgment, if you haven't taken care of that by coming to Christ, you'll feel the full brunt 
of the awful, eternal, unyielding wrath of God burning on you in hell forever and ever and ever. And so Paul says, make sure that you put to death that what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. God hates sin, folks. He hates idolatry, things things that would that would come between us and God and being fully allegiant to God. Verse 6, he goes on to say, because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. So this is a, a strong motivation for anybody that's sitting on the fence and thinking, you know, I know, I know I'm lost. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian, but, you know, I really want to try to think, you know, sample the things of the world. I'll, I'll take my chances. I may, you know, come down, you know, down to the end. I get to be old. And I'll, I'll become a Christian and everything. You know that that's awful risky. Because God doesn't promise anyone tomorrow. And you know, before you know it, you may find yourself standing before the judgment of God and you'll see what God thinks about all these awful things. So, so for those who call themselves Christians, first of all, accept, acknowledge, celebrate, but definitely separate from yourself anything that shows any resemblance to these things that must be put to death. If you put it to death, it's gone. It doesn't have a place in your life. It doesn't have a standing in your heart. In verse 8, Paul goes on back in verse 7, and he says, And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. Paul's writing to Christians for those who are in Christ. He said, Now you you know that's where you were. And I, you know, some people say, Well, why didn't God just erase, kind of like you erase a tape? I date myself. I don't think you can erase a CD, can you? But anyway. You know, it used to be you could erase portions of a tape or a video you didn't like or whatever. Why, why didn't God just erase our minds of all those hideous, terrible, sinful things we used to be that, that, that characterized us when we were in the flesh and sinful and lost? I think there's a benefit for it. I don't think God wants us to ever, ever lose sight of where he has brought us from and where we are now. Not by our own doings, not denying our credit, but to the glory of God. You know, Paul, he's, though he said there, you know, in, in Colossians 3 uh, or Philippians 3, he says, you know, brethren, I, I haven't arrived, but one thing I do, forgetting those things are behind. Well, Paul's saying, I don't let those things weigh me down. My past, the sins of the past. Oh, no, they don't just drag, they don't drag me down because he says, I press forward you know, to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. But Paul never forgot. Because you go back in the book of Acts and you'll read over and over again. As Paul is given his personal testimony, he goes back and tells you what a sinful wretch he was. What an enemy to the kingdom of God he was. What a persecutor of the church he was. God wants us to always be humbled to remember from which he has brought us. And to where we are and where we're headed. And to whom gets the glory. And so he says there in verse 8. But now put away all the following. 
These are things that the flesh could stir up in us. When you talk about putting it away, the fir at first he's saying the old sinful person that you were, that person is dead. And if he's not or she's not, you need to take care of that. And there's only one way to mortify the old sinful person, and that is through the cross of Christ. We must die to that old person once and for all. But now, he says, as believers, put away all the following. In other words, as Christians, as followers of Christ, this is where the old flesh nature gets us in trouble. Because you can be cruising along pretty good, but he says, anger, wrath, even a deeper, more expressive version, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have, been, have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You see that taken off and put it on? Yeah, yeah. And he says, there's no need for you as a child of God to allow your flesh nature to tempt you to get angry at somebody. Now, is anger a sin? No, no. Jesus demonstrated righteous indignation, which is a form of anger at the money changes in the temple. Listen, it's, it's when we allow our anger to lead us to sin. That's the difference. And, you know, some people, you know, try to rationalize, well, I'm just, it's my, I'm a type A personality. Right. Try that on Judgment Day. Uh, no, no, no. You know, oh, yeah. There's, there's no place for Christians who are habitually angered, practicing malice, or, you know, or, or lying, being deceitful, foul mouth. I heard about this guy went to a dealership to buy a car, and he, you know, a salesman that stepped out in the showroom, and, and I guess some got one of the, it's not JJ. I want to qualify that real quickly. And, what, and, and evidently, there had been a little tension between that salesman and another, and, 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 the, and the guy that was waiting on him let out a string of these, you know, terrible, you know, curse words and swearing and came back in and working on the paper. And he says, sir, and what are you doing? And he says, well, oh, I'm a, I passed it down here. And he says, oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I, I belong to such and such. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, these things have no place, none of them, in, in the life of, of a child of God. None of this. Put off these old things of the self, old self, and these practices. And in verse 10, he says, put on the new self. The new self is in Christ, where he says, you are renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. God is constantly reminding you in his word, by his spirit, of the qualities that should be represented in you and me as a Christian. In verse 11, he says, In Christ there's not Jew or Greek or Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, uh, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. You know, the, the, sin and, and, and the enemy and 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 the evil forces out there try to divide. That, that's the whole agenda of Satan, is to divide. He divides society. He tries to get one country against another, one group against another, one race against another, one political group against another. And even in the church, 
If you're allowing, he will create divisions. Well, I don't like, you know, over there. Because they voted for that red carpet. You know, that's not sanctimonious. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, Satan will see, he'll divide families. That's why I am so alarmed by this diabolical philosophy called critical race theory out there trying to permeate our society so as to, to point out minute differences of all these different ethnic groups so as to isolate others and just to divide people. Folks, that's the work of the devil. Paul says there is no division. We're all one in Christ. There's no different races in Christ's mind. There's no nationalities in the mind of Christ. He doesn't divide us by language or culture or whatever. We are all one in Christ. And we're equal in the eyes of God. Everyone, all are equal. And, and so these are the things that we as Christians must give attention to. We have a, a, a new identity in Christ. On page 114 in your, your study guide, he talks about that new identity of the believer. When a person places faith in Christ, no longer is the person a slave to sin, defined by the past failures or present struggles. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, in whom the old sinful self is passed away and the new redeemed self is alive and progressing, becoming more and more like Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad. I'm thankful. I'm not what I'm going to be, praise the Lord. Like that little song the Henfields used to sing years ago. He's still working on me, okay? He's got a lot more to work on me, but he's still working. I, don't judge me yet. You know, there, there's an unfinished part, you know? He's still working on me, and he's still working on you. But the fact is, you know, Christ is changing us constantly from what we used to be into more and more like him. That's why we look above. That's why we seek the things above. That's why we keep our eyes on Jesus. Oh, by the way, if you're thinking you're pretty self-righteous and puffed up and better than the rest of the folks in the church, you know, and there's always maybe one. I'm not saying they're here, but I've heard. Uh, but, but just... Just when you get to that pinnacle of feeling so good about yourself and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm really a lot better than the rest of the folks around me. Then I got, I got good medicine for you. Sit down, get your Bible, pray, say, Lord, I want to be honest, and then dig into the Word of God and look at all the characteristics of Christ and compare yourself to Christ. Just do that, okay? And so looking at all the wonderful qualities, the fruit of the Spirit, and all the wonderful, before you know it, you probably crawl out of your, your, your prayer closet like a lizard from under a rock. And you'll, you'll, he'll put you back in your place. Don't ever fall into that trap of trying to compare yourself to somebody that might be just a little bit less spiritual than you and thinking you are somebody. No, we should always be looking above and, and always modeling Christ. And he's still working on me. Okay? There's always... Room for improvement in the life of every believer. Amen? Yay, amen. That's right. Okay, we need to move along because I want us to see that after we set our minds on the things above and put to death the deeds of the flesh, we've got to deal drastically with those old things of the flesh and make sure that's not me anymore. 
Then he talked about put on. Put on the works of the Spirit. Okay? And so let's look there in verse 12. Paul says, therefore, another therefore. <laughs> therefore, since you've already put to death, you know, the old flesh, the old sinful nature, well, Christ did that through your faith in, in him. And, and, and then once you have put off all of those ugly, sinful characteristics and tendencies that are not of Christ, but more of the flesh. Therefore, he says, as God's chosen ones. So now that we, after we've been beat up a little bit by Paul about allowing some of those old sinful things to continue to reside in our lives, and, and he's saying cleanse, cleanse, cleanse. Now he's, he's, he's turning to a positive note and saying, just remember who you are. You're chosen of God. That's what it says, you know. You're as God's chosen ones. And over and over in the New Testament, it tells us that God has chosen you, predestined you before the foundation of the world. He chose you to be one of his own. He gave you the faith to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so therefore, he says, as one of God's chosen ones, that doesn't mean you need to walk around with a T-shirt saying, I'm one of the chosen you got to be careful about that. Somebody think you're a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> be, be careful about bragging about that, but feel good about it. I've been selected. God. God. And because of that, he's made us holy. And he says, you're dearly loved. Folks, you are the object of God's love. That's a love that's immeasurable. The love of God. I love to hear George Beverly Shea sing that song about, you know, if, if, the, if the oceans were ink, you know, and, and the sky were a scroll, there would not be enough ink in or space in the scroll to write about all the marvelous characteristics of God's love. Folks, you are the, you are the object of his love. And that's what Paul says. He says, with that in mind, just remembering who you are. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Talking about in the body of Christ. Patiently bearing with one another and forgiving one another. In case you haven't forgiven a brother or sister that has wronged you, they've asked you to forgive. Look, look what it says. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. And he says, above all, in verse 14. Now, I don't know about you. All of those sound like quality traits to me. And they're glorious traits. And I would like to wake up and be able to practice those naturally in my Christian life on a regular basis. But he says, ratchet up one more level. Above all of that. Above all of that, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And I'm not talking about this syrupy, emotional love that, you know, back in the hippie days, you know, you get around with a ukulele, you know, and, you know, what the world is now is love, sweet. Come on. We need love. But we, I know Cindy and Betsy, I destroyed that. But, but we need, 
We need God's love. Can I get amen? We need God's love in families. Yes, we do. We need God's love in churches. Yes, we do. We need God's love moving out from the church house out into the darkness and the alienation and, and, and the pain and the, and, and the separation and, and all that is the crowd that's out there that do, do not know Jesus Christ. They need to experience the love of God. And so he says, above all, make sure you're putting on that new nature in Christ that you put on love. In verse 15, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. There's that unity, the unity that must prevail in the body of Christ and, and gratitude. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Let's just stop there just a second. But just. Just think about the, the role of the word of God. We can. Sometimes we are our own detriment. Sometimes Christians can be so critical and sometimes so negative, And they're so quick to point out, you know, minute mistakes that people make. We need to exert as much, if not more energy in encouraging people. And, and coming alongside of brothers, instead of when you see a brother sister, sister stumble in sin, we don't go over here and get a huddle and say, uh-huh, did you see? Have you heard? Uh, what am I doing? I'll tell you what you do. You leave the huddle and you let Christ get a hold of your heart and you go alongside of that brother or sister who may be struggling and you put your arm around them and you say, you know, something like, you know, brother or sister, I, I, do, I love you. And I'm so glad that, that you're part of our fellowship. And I realize that all of us are subject to stumble from time to time. You may not realize what you've been saying or what you did has hurt your witness. And, and it potentially hurts the witness of the church. And it concerns me. How can I help you? I want to pray for you. I, you know, if we need to talk, however I can be a help to you to overcome that. But please take it to the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. And, and be restored. Jesus says in Matthew 18, when we do that, we restore a brother. We have gained a brother. We've not gained an enemy because we stood over there and talked about him, but we have won a brother back into the fellowship. But he says there, as we let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, and it should be, it shouldn't just be on a shelf in your book, in your on a bookshelf back home. It, the, the word of God should be freely flowing from your heart and as you minister to others and you encourage others and you share the wisdom and the teachings of the scripture and admonish one another, encourage each other. But then he says, not only do that just in the word, but through songs, hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I like that, Brother Mark. I, I, I just appreciate so much the way that our music, our songs minister to my heart. Because these powerful, solid, biblical songs that we sing that are based on the teachings of the scriptures, they're food for the soul. And I get fed. And I get encouraged. And I get lifted up. And, 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 so, and, and so, you know, I'm not saying you need to call me late at night when you're feeling down and I'm going to sing to you. I'll put on a recording or something, but no. But, but you know, come together and sing. 
and just just lift each other's spirits up. And, and those songs remind us of the glory of God and the characteristics of our Savior and the wonderful privileges that are ours. And in doing that, sing with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through Him. This is a part of being born again. This is what it means to be a new creature in Christ. And you know, God, this is this is the beautiful part of it. Don't miss it, folks. What, what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae is this is not what you have to take a self-help book and go and sit down and somehow try to, to do this to improve yourself. No, no, this is a matter of yielding yourself to the Spirit of Christ that dwells in you. Be guided by the teachings of the Scripture and let God do the changing. Let God do the transforming. He will do it. If we yield ourselves to him. And then in that process, we become more and more like him. I like there's a quote by Edward Moat, 18th century, 19th century. Saint that said, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Folks, that is the ultimate outcome of what we are yearning for, what God is seeking to do in our lives, is He's wanting to, to, to get our attention focused on Him, not on this world. He's wanting us to take that serious step of dealing with the old sinful nature and taking it off, shucking it off, and put on Christ. Put on Christ. Every day. Not just one time. Not just when there's a series of revival meetings going on. Every day put on Christ and keep your eyes focused on Him. So that when He does come, and He's coming, and I pray even so come now, Lord Jesus. But when we see Him, we will be like Him. Because we have consciously allowed his Holy Spirit to take his word and transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, these are bold challenges that Paul ushered or issued rather to the church at Colossae and all the churches where that letter would circulate, all those Christians back in the first, second century, and now to us. And Lord, these are daunting words. If we made the mistake of thinking this is what we have to do on our own. But I praise you and thank you, Lord, that you are, you are in the business of taking the most wretched sinner, the most hopeless character. Lord, they could be like a rebel, like Paul, persecuting the church. And yet, if you've chosen them, Lord, you have made a way for them to experience the new life through Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here today that, that has not been led by you to take that glorious step of faith to become a brand new creature in Christ, I pray you will move upon their hearts if it's your will to do so. 
I pray that Christians that maybe have come a little bit complacent in living the Christian life or maybe com com become compromised to this world because they've gotten their focus off of the things above. Oh, Lord, I pray this will be a, a wake-up call just to kind of get us refocused and get us to reorganize our priorities so that we are more and more determined to be like you. And, Lord, I pray that as a result of that, families will be enriched. This church will be revived in the kingdom of God advanced through us, filled with your spirit. And we ask your blessings. Oh, Lord, help us. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Mark, I'd ask if you would please come and close our service. Let's stand. The reason we sing blessed be the tie that binds when we observe the Lord's Supper is because we're remembering that which binds us together. It is, as Pastor Charlie was preaching from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, it is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ. So when we think blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian